Now we're going to pick back up in our study, Why a Baptist. In uh, our study, we are learning what it means to be a Baptist. We are determining, uh, as we study, if this is what we want to be, we're determining if this is an important distinction. Uh, today, I've said it a couple different times, but it is popular to say that it's all the same. And I hear that all the time. It's all the same. Uh, we are, we're really all the same. It doesn't matter what a person believes uh, as long as they believe something. And you hear that, it seems to be a very common expression. Well, in that culture where people say, well, it's all the same and, and differences do not matter, uh, we are looking at what does it mean to be a Baptist church? And we are determining, again, if that is important, if that is a distinction that we uh, should and want to carry. Um, so far in our study, the very first week, we talked about what is our goal. And we saw that night that it's not to be uh, necessarily a Baptist or really any denomination, but our goal is to be a New Testament follower of Jesus Christ. We want to follow Jesus uh, as prescribed in the Word of God, the Bible. And that's what we want to do. Again, our goal is not to match some criteria, not to, to join up with some set of folks, but to be New Testament followers of Jesus Christ. We need to remember that as we go through our study. Uh, that is the standard. We need to remind ourselves we want to be a New Testament, a biblical follower of Jesus Christ. That is what matters. Next, we saw what is doctrine and why does it matter. We talked about that. And then the last thing that week, we talked about should we group up, actually come together, grouping up uh, to serve and to worship together, uh, forming churches according to matters of doctrine. Is that something we ought to do? We saw really uh, that is the only reason that we should group up, to be like-minded uh, in our interpretation of Scripture. Uh, that was the first week. Last week or two weeks ago uh, was the second week. And we also looked at three issues or three questions uh, that night as well. We talked about what about uh, groups who believe differently. We talked about that. Uh, then we talked about how do we live or, or how do we move uh, in this age of ecumenicalism. That's an age... Uh, where the goal is to come together, really to set aside or to surrender any differences uh, in the idea of coming together in unity. What are we supposed to do with that? How do we respond to that? And then we started uh, really a movement into the big stuff of the study, and that was looking at the question, what was the original distinction of a Baptist? What was it that prompted uh, the grouping up of people that eventually became known as Baptist. Well, uh, as we would expect, the subject or the issue was the issue of baptism. And we saw very specifically it was infant baptism. That is an involved issue. And we have to really look at it and we have to decide, uh, does baptism save us? Is baptism a part of salvation? Uh, is there a need for us to be baptized in order to be, uh, to be saved? Really, if you look at it long enough, it becomes uh, an examination of salvation. What does it mean to be saved? Uh, what are we saved from? How are we saved? When are we saved? And really to answer that question, it, it is to look at the issue of salvation as a whole. Well, we saw two weeks ago uh, that as Baptists, we subscribe to what is known as believers baptism. Now, that is the idea that we are baptized not as part of our salvation, 
but in testimony to it. Uh, we, as New Testament followers of Christ, we believe it is by immersion. That's what we believe Scripture shows us. Uh, we believe that it's always not part of our salvation, but after our salvation in testimony to it. Uh, the person having received Christ then asked to be baptized. It is not imposed upon them. It is their testifying. And so they would say, uh, it is not a part of my salvation. It is in testimony to my salvation. It is by immersion, and I want this testimony to stand. And so they request uh, to be baptized. That's the idea of believer's baptism uh, that we hold to as Baptists. Well, that belief brings us to uh, where we're going to start back tonight. Tonight, we're going we're to move into some, some bigger stuff in a second, but I thought it was important to start off and, and very quickly discuss or make known that this idea about baptism and really rejecting infant baptism, that that single idea is not and was not appreciated by many people. And I think that's worth saying. It was not, it is not appreciated by many people. Uh, in fact, if not most people. And so those folks that held to this uh, idea of believers' baptism, uh, they did not do so easily. I think sometimes we think, well, uh, you had a different idea, you go that way. I have a different idea, I'll go this way. Uh, they did not do so easily, but they actually did it uh, under great persecution. I think that's worth saying. Well, we say, well, we all, we're all the same. Well, it's not that big of a deal. Uh, for these people, it was that big of a deal. Uh, it cost them to say that we believe this is not biblical and we're not going to endorse it and we're not going to practice it. Uh, that's a big deal. If you go back and you can look at in history, Baptists were jailed, they were beaten, they were fined, their property was taken away from them. They were whipped. They were burned. They were killed. They were beheaded. All for this belief to say, we believe in believer's baptism. It was very costly to say that. Uh, in England, as this movement grows, uh, church meetings were raided. Church meetings were attacked. Uh, many of the Baptist pastors, preachers were imprisoned. Uh, you can go back and read in history. Some of them held their services out the windows of the jail. Their congregations would gather under the window and they would preach out of the, the windows of the jail. They did this uh, at terrible cost to self. Um, the, the Church of England greatly persecuted Baptists. The Catholic Church greatly persecuted Baptists. The newly formed Protestant Church, the Lutherans, uh, those that, that, that followed John Calvin, they also greatly persecuted Baptists. Uh, some say that it's one of the most persecuted groups, uh, religious groups ever. There's some that try to keep statistics. It's not very clear. Uh, but they say that the Catholic Church has killed more Baptists than any other form of religious persecution uh, that's on record. And so it was costly uh, for people to say, uh, we stand on the idea of the truth uh, of believers baptism. Uh, in the new colonies, we, we hear about that. Uh, we, we come over here for religious freedom. Uh, it was not really any different in the new colonies. They, it wasn't escaped here. Uh, Baptist pastors, preachers were banished in the new colonies. They were beaten. They were whipped uh, in, in the new colonies. 
Well, I say all of that to say this, and we need to understand this. Popular opinion is not the standard. And I think that's worth saying in all things, especially in the day that we're living in today. Just because the, the masses hold to an idea, uh, that's not the standard. Just because it's the popular thing, uh, that is not the standard. Uh, we go back to the standard of God's word, and then we see this in their example. It costs many times to stand for the truth. And so when I hear folks say, well, we're just, we're just all the same. It's not that big of a deal. Uh, we need to understand there are, there are a couple hundred years of folks that had to endure great suffering uh, to say, we do not believe baptism saves you. We believe that it's by immersion and it's after salvation, not part of it. Just that simple declaration was very costly uh, for these for these folks. All right, from here, I thought that's a big deal worth knowing, uh, worth understanding in our study. From here, we're going to move to what are known as the Baptist distinctives. Uh, these are the things that Baptists hold as true, uh, that we would believe are non-negotiable uh, in our view of, of our faith and the practicing of uh, our faith. Now, there are a bunch of these. There are many of these. It's going to take us several weeks of Sunday nights to move uh, through them all. Um, but these are the things that if somebody says, well, what is a Baptist? Now, we see how we, we get our start. But if someone says, what is a Baptist or what do Baptists believe? Uh, these are the things that bind us together. And often, in many cases, these are the things that set us apart. So we're going to spend some time looking at Baptist distinctives, the things that we hold uh, as Baptist Christians, the things that bind us together as this church, as a church, and then oftentimes set us apart. I will tell you this. I don't remember ever doing this as a kid. Uh, I don't ever remember doing this as a young adult. I think maybe previous generations, they knew and maybe they had these studies. I don't remember ever doing that. Uh, the first time I did this, I was in my mid-30s. I was at seminary. We went through a class on this. And it was after studying each of these distinctives that I resolved, you know what, I am a Baptist, and I don't have to be one. Now, there's nobody to impress, but I am a Baptist, and I'm glad to be a Baptist, and I, and I resolved that I'm going to raise my home uh, to be Baptist followers of Jesus Christ. It was in studying uh, these distinctives, and so I'm excited as we're going to move through them uh, for the next few weeks. The first Baptist distinctive is, and really this is the foundation for all of them, uh, the first Baptist distinctive is the Bible is the inspired, inerrant, sufficient word of God. It is the testimony to and of Jesus Christ, its subject and hero. And in all things of faith and practice, we defer to the Bible. Let me say that again. That's the first Baptist distinctive. The Bible is the inspired, inerrant, sufficient word of God. It is the testimony to and of Jesus Christ, its subject and hero. And in all things of faith and practice, we defer to the Bible. Now, all of that is to say Baptists are to be Bible-driven people. Now, if we go back to the goal, remember we said we're going to remember the goals we move through this. If the goal is to be a New Testament follower of Jesus Christ, well, if that is the goal, that is the goal because of the value that we give the Word of God. That's the goal because of the place that we ascribe to the Word of God. 
Now, I'm going to break that statement down. We're going to look at it piece by piece uh, so we better understand it. First thing is this. is the, the, the belief is this. The Bible is the inspired Word of God. The Bible is the inspired Word of God. It comes from 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16. It says this. All Scripture is inspired by God. Uh, all Scripture is inspired by God. 2 Timothy 3.16 uh, the Greek word there means God breathed. The word for inspired, God breathed, uh, it most literally translates exhaled. And so if you exhale, that's what comes out. And so uh, the, the, the scripture comes forth out of God. It is breathed out of God. Also, 2 Peter 1.20, but know this first of all, that no prophecy of scripture is a matter of one's own interpretation. Verse 21, for no prophecy was ever made by an act of human will, but men moved by the Holy Spirit spoke from God. Now, all of that, what that means is this, we believe, is the Word of God. We believe this is the speech of God. It's not the, the speech of man. This isn't a letter to us from Peter. It's not the, the words and the thoughts of Paul. It's not of any group, any council or any denomination. We believe the Bible is the word of God. When we, be, we believe when we hold our Bibles, we're holding the word of God. Now, I want you to think about that. That is a huge thing. And if we actually believe that, if we actually hold to that, uh, that is a, a, a profound thing, and it has huge repercussions, which, which, which mean this. So, therefore... When you set this aside, you're setting aside the Word of God. Well, how does our culture get in a mess? How do we have such a, a problem in our, in our day today? When you set this aside, you're setting aside the Word of God. When you ignore this, you're ignoring the Word of God. Uh, when you mock or you belittle this, uh, you're mocking and you're belittling the Word of God, God himself. And then the flip side of that is when you take it in, you're taking in the very words of God. When you live according to this, you're not saying, hey, what's the, what's the culture say? What do the experts say? You're saying, what has God said? And you're taking in the word of God. You're living according to the word of God. When you take it in, you're hearing from God. There's a saying, maybe you've heard it, and it says this. If you want to hear God speak, read the Bible. If you want to hear God speak audibly, Read aloud. We believe this is the word of God. Its author is God. It is inspired, breathed out from God, comes from God. I think we ought to be reminded of that more often. And so when we say, well, I can't understand it, I don't have time for it, uh, I, I, it doesn't fit my schedule, maybe some other time, I don't know if we're gonna if we're gonna study it. Uh, we need to understand what we are neglecting is the very speech of God. It is the word of God. So that's the first part of that. Second part of that is this: the Bible is the inerrant word of God. It is the inspired word of God. It is also the inerrant word of God. The word inerrant means without error. And so Baptists believe. The Bible, the Word of God, is free from error. It is correct. 
Now, you might believe there's problems. You might believe it's not correct, but you're not going to hold to the distinctives that we do as a, as a Baptist. We believe the Bible is correct in its original form, in its original manuscripts. Now, over time, translations could be a little bit different, but we believe in the original manuscripts and the word given from God, recorded uh, by people, uh, it is correct. Psalm 19, verse 7, the law of the Lord is perfect. Proverbs chapter 30, verse 5, every word of God is pure. It's a word that means tested or proves true. Watch this. Think about this. Because God is perfect, because God is always correct, his word must be as well. And so those two things go back and forth. His word is perfect because he is perfect. And he is perfect, so therefore his word must be perfect. It only makes sense. God is perfect, and so his word must be perfect. Listen to this. God does not lie. He does not lie. He doesn't say, well, I'm going to tell you something that's not going to be true. God does not have incomplete knowledge. Do you know, there's no one else that we're, we're learning. We're gaining knowledge. He's not finding stuff out. He's not going, well, I didn't know that was going to happen. Uh, he, he doesn't have incomplete knowledge. God doesn't make mistakes. Well, I, I, I made a mistake. And so if this is his word, uh, then it will be correct. You say, well, what about the hard parts? What about the miracles? What, what about parts that seem questionable or maybe that have contradiction or, or, or conflict with each other? Here's the deal. If there is a problem, the problem is in our understanding of the word of God because we believe God's word is correct. He is perfect. His word will be perfect as well. Now, here's the thing. People say, well, why does that matter? Why does that matter? Follow with me for just a second. This is the word of God. 66 books, and it is a whole thing. There, there is a wholeness to the word of God. On our Wednesday night Bible study, we're seeing from the very first word to the last word in the book of Revelation, it is all the story of Christ. It's all the story of the need for Christ, the provision of Christ, the coming of Christ, the work of Christ, salvation by faith in Jesus Christ. This book is a whole thing. And so understand, so any error anywhere in it throws the whole thing into question. Now, that, that's, just, that's just logical. If there's any problem in any piece of it, any part of it, then it throws the whole thing into question. So that's why it matters. Some folks say, well, I don't think this matters. Well, there's some problems with it. That's okay. No, it doesn't work that way. Now, there's folks today, and they say, well, this part is too old. It's become outdated. It needs to be updated. There's folks that say that. There's folks that say, well, the first five books, or especially the book of Genesis, uh, how did Moses know all that? Maybe Moses got it wrong. Maybe he, he made a mistake here. Or, or they say, well, these parts, uh, they, are, they are not meant to be historical. They're not meant to be taken literal. And so they're, they're folk stories, or they're moral tales. And if, if you'll embrace them, it'll teach you good things but they're not true. Uh, some would say, well, these parts are questionable. Uh, there, there's an issue here. They never claim to be, again, historical. Well, then my question is this. And so if we're not going to believe God's word in creation, or if there's an error there, or if we're not going to believe God's word about some miracle, an axe head that floats, or, or, or the defeat of the prophets of Baal, if we're not going to believe 
his word there, then why would we believe a man that came and never sinned? That doesn't make any sense. We all sin. Why would we believe a man was dead and, and the greatest, craziest thing ever, he walks out of the grave alive? You know what, if I can't believe the creation account, oh, I don't believe that. Let me, let me redefine that in 10 different ways. But I believe there was a dead man three days later who walked out of a grave. You know what? You can't put any confidence in the one, any validity in the one, if we're going to discredit the other. God's word is dependable. God's word is trustworthy. The reason it is because it has no error in it. Because it is perfect. Here's what we believe as Baptists. You can trust the word of God. You can depend on the word of God. You can turn on the, to the word of God. Why? Because it is inerrant. It is correct. Every single letter of it. All right. That brings us to the third thing that's part of that distinctive. And that is this. The word of God is sufficient. Uh, it is inspired. It comes from God. It is inerrant. It is perfect. It is sufficient. We believe the word of God is sufficient. Now, what that means is it is enough. The word of God is enough. We believe that we have all that we need for faith and life and practice in the word of God. God, infinite in wisdom, and in that wisdom, he has given us exactly what we need to know to know him to trust him, to follow him, and to live in faith and obedience. He didn't hold anything back. There's no puzzle we've got to put together. There's no pieces that we've got to go assemble somewhere. God, infinite in his wisdom, and in that wisdom, he has given us everything we need to know to follow him, to know him, to trust him, and to live in faith and obedience. Here's what that means. So we do not need anything else. Nothing else do we need. We do not need an addition to the word of God. The Book of Mormon, Pearl of Great Price, we do not need an addition to the word of God. We've got the word of God. We do not need an additional word. We do not need an updated word. Now, some folks will say today, we need a fresh word from God. We have this word, but we need an updated word from God. Here's the truth. God has spoken. He has given us what we need to know and what his word is enough. The Bible is sufficient. Here's what we have to do. Trust that. Rely on that. Rest in that. We, or I'm not out scrambling around saying, I, I need to get a new thing for the new issues of the day. We have the issues for all, the answers for all the issues in the word of God. Do you realize, now I want you to think about those, those distinctives. All of those things have been under attack and all of those things are currently under attack. All of those things are under attack. Does it matter that we're a Baptist? All of those things are under attack. People come along today and say, is this the word of God? Is this the word of God? Aren't these really the teachings of men? Now, there's folks today that they don't like some things that Paul said. Well, that's the teaching of Paul. Should we trust that? I want to go hear the words of Jesus. Is this the word of God? It's good, but maybe it's not the word of God. The world comes along and says, is it correct? Now, some say, I, I hear folks say, well, it doesn't have to be perfect to be profitable. Uh, there, aren't there errors in it? Aren't there contradictions in it? 
uh, well, it doesn't seem to match up with, with science or popular thought. And so they attack it in that way. Or, and here's, here's a growing thing, someone comes along and they say, I need something else in addition to this. Uh, I know what the Bible tells me about heaven, but if a four-year-old boy would write me a book, then I might believe heaven is for real. I need something else. I have what the Bible says, or, or someone comes along and says, I, I, I know that Jesus speaks, but if he'd call me, and then I, if he'd give me a book, he said he's called, and then I believe he speaks. Guess what? He speaks to us through his word. We're not out seeking something else. It's always been under attack. The Baptist position is this. We can trust in, stand on the inspired, inerrant, sufficient word of God. And as Baptists, we go wrong when we get away from that. And so you start watching someplace and they're trying to bend to the culture or they're trying to be popular in the culture, or they're trying to match up with something the world can't understand, uh, any church, but a Baptist church is going wrong when it starts to surrender uh, our position on the inspired, inerrant, sufficient word of God. I'm going to read from Psalm 19, and I'm going to read several verses here starting in verse 7. Now I want you just to listen. Listen to the words. Here's what God says of his own word. Do you want to know? Here's what he says. The law of the Lord is perfect, restoring the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The judgments of the Lord are true. They are righteous altogether. They are more desirable than gold, yes, much fine gold, sweeter than honey and the drippings of the honeycomb. Moreover, by them your servant is warned. In keeping them there is great reward. Who can discern his errors? Acquit me of hidden faults and keep back your servant from presumptuous sins. Let them not rule over me. Then I will be blameless and I shall be acquitted of great transgression. Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. Here's, here's what all that says tonight. As Baptists, we're to be people of the word of God. Now, we're to have confidence and trust in it, but then we're to be people of the word of God. Let me tell you this. Here's, here's the greatest thing that could happen in the Baptist church in our specific church, and I'll just tell you, in any church, the greatest thing that could ever happen is that there will be a great turning to the Word of God. And we'd have preachers that that's what they preach, and that's what they read, and that's what they study, and that's what they feed to their congregation, and then we'd have congregations that they memorize it, and they teach it to their kids, and they study it, and they listen to it, and they think about it, and they're, they're students of the Word of God. The greatest thing that could ever happen it's for there to be a great turning to the word of God. As Baptists, we have confidence in the word of God. I'm going to ask if you'll stand, please. I'm going to lead us in a word of prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, we come tonight. We're thankful for your truth. I pray as we consider this uh, that we have open minds, that we have ears that can be 
listening, hearing ears. We have minds that are open to hear, that we judge everything according to the standard of your word. And I, I pray, Lord, anything that's not profitable, anything that's not biblical, anything that should not stand, always would be weeded out. And I pray that what we're left with is the biblical witness. And I pray, Lord, that we will be people led by the word of God, uh, ready to submit and obey to the word of God. And I pray, Lord, that that would uh, bring glory to you and make known your name. Lord, I pray for our church again tonight. Bless it. I pray for, the, for the, those that have been recently baptized, those that are making decisions, those that made some this morning. I pray, Lord, that they are taught, that they grow in the truth of your word. I, I pray that you bless them and let them be a blessing to your church. Lord, I, I pray as we go back to a new week with all sorts of good things and all sorts of hard things and all sorts of temptations ahead and all sorts of opportunities, I pray, Lord, that we're quick to submit to you, to turn to you, that we look to the Lamb, and then I pray that we point others to the Lamb as well. Help us in that. I pray for homes here, for grandparents here, for parents, for, for moms, for dads, for kids, for our church members. And Lord, I pray again that we are faithful and pleasing in your sight. We end this Lord's Day by saying, you are our King, and you are our Lord, and you are the risen Lamb slain for the sins of the world, but yet liveth again. And so we praise you for that. We worship you. And I pray in Jesus' name, amen.